Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. We are finishing our message series today that we have a three-part message series on rest that we have been talking about in the last few weeks. Um, I felt like it was really important for us as I was praying at the end of the year, God, what do you want to say to our church in the beginning of 2018, and I really felt like the Lord wanted us to learn this concept of rest, particularly from the scriptures called Sabbath, this idea that's all throughout scripture, so much so that it was even put in the law, uh, that it was a requirement. In fact, it was a punishable offense by death. This is, inc- this is crazy. Like, as Americans, that's foreign. We're like, well, if I don't get to take a vacation, it's no big deal. Like, that's kind of American concept, right? But in scripture, it actually points to this idea that it was so serious that if they that that it was that it was like a penalty a harsh penalty if you didn't obey the concept of rest and so we've been talking about this idea and how God has designed us for rest and so far what we have learned is that God created the sabbath and why he commanded us to rest we've learned that it's it's important for our bodies that we must have it in order to stay healthy we've explored the difference between escaping And actually relaxing and resting, there is a difference. We learned that last week, that escape doesn't help us, that we just numb ourselves, and and instead we have to find real, true ways to be able to rest in the presence of God. But everything we have discussed so far has really led us to this understanding that God has designed us to integrate restfulness into our daily lives, and it's essential for us hearing the voice of God and living a sustained, healthy life. But all of this really begs the question of, how the heck do we do it? Because frankly, we're busy people, right? I mean, I think if the last two weeks have been a lot of principles, it's been a lot of kind of background foundations. It's been this ideas of, of okay, I get it. I understand that I should take time off. That was kind of week one, that, that the concept of rest means stopping what you're doing and taking time to recover, taking time to breathe and allow, uh, you know, our bodies and our minds and our spirits to, re- to rest and recover, particularly in the presence of God so he can speak life into us and we can hear his voice. It's like, okay, well, how do I take time off when I'm crazy busy? We, I also understand last week we talked about slow motion, this idea of when we do take time to slow, slow things down and then, then we can see what we're actually doing. Like even if I took time to stop, maybe the activities that I'm not engaging in aren't very restful. Perhaps I'm thinking that I'm taking time off, but I'm still stressed out. So slowing down helps us, but it still begs the question, Jared, I'm busy. I've got a lot of things going on in my life. I've got important work to do. My work is piling up. Uh, you know, I've got family activities. I just don't have the time to stop. I don't know how I can do that. And that's a legitimate question. How do we find the time? How do we find the time to heal, to recover? And really, how do I honor God's design for my life in real time? And that's what we want to talk about today. We talked about taking time off. We talked about slow motion. Well, today we're talking about finding rest in real time, like while life is happening. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at three passages of Scripture from the book of Mark in the New Testament, and it's going to help us to see how we can rest in real time. But first, I want to tell you a quick story. In 1965, the University of Florida um, School of Medicine 
uh, put together a team of scientists to try to figure out how they can help their athletes replenish the loss of carbohydrates and uh, electrolytes and, and all of the, the energy that they were losing from their vigorous like exercise routines. They wanted to find a way to be able to help them. What they were finding was that their athletes were in the middle of com- collegiate level competitive games, whether it's football or baseball or whatever. And by the time that they would get near the middle or the end of their activities of their games, they were exhausted. They were losing performance. So they put together this team to try to find a way to be able to help them to be able to recover and stay strong. So they came up with a formula and put it in a liquid, and they gave it to the football team. And 10 of the football team uh, players sampled and tested it for during practices and during games. In fact, in 1967, so they kind of tested this for a year or two. And in 1967, the Florida Gators football team actually thought that this drink was one of the contributing factors to them and why they were able to uh, win their first Orange Bowl win ever over Georgia Tech. This drink is called Gatorade. Gatorade, that's where it came from. If you ever wanted to know the origin stories of Gatorade, this is where it came from. Now, you might be asking yourself, why is Pastor Jared talking about Gatorade in church? What does it have anything to do with resting in real time? Well, the answer is actually quite a bit. If you think about it, what were the football players trying to do? If you're in the middle of a football game and you're exhausted and you're tired, you don't have time to go take a nap right? You don't have time to take off. You have to continue to play. So the scientists were trying to find a way to be able to replace what was lost, to replace the energy, to inject replenishment in the middle of the performing, in the middle of the the moment. And this is exactly what we're trying to do As, as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, as just people, as moms, as dads, as students, as, as, as individuals who are just trying to make our way through the world, whatever it is that we're going through, sometimes we find ourselves in seasons where we are incredibly busy and we don't have the time to be able to take a week of vacation or I can't just go take a retreat or go hiking for the weekend or whatever it might be. Some of us in our daily lives right now, things are just stacked up and it is difficult for us to be able to, to, to really take long breaks. So what is the Gatorade that we, are, that we should be doing? How can we find rest in real time? While there isn't literally a Gatorade in the Bible, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a Gatorade for our spirit life. But there are plenty of examples in Scripture that talk about resting in the middle of everyday life. So we're going to look at three passages, and we're going to see each of them has Jesus in them, and each of them has his disciples in them, and each of them talks about a form of weariness or exhaustion or tiredness, or we see an exhibit of rest being taken place. And we're going to learn from Jesus here. And, I, and there's a passage of Scripture that's not on the screen, but I was reminded of this morning that I want us to kind of sit, sit with in the back of our minds. This is Jesus talking, and he says, Come to me. All of you who are weary and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, that's very familiar for many of us. But the next part of that says, learn from me. Learn from me. Follow me. Do the things that I tell you to do, and then you will experience it. So as we look through these three passages today, I want you to look through it from the lens of let's follow Jesus' lead and see how it applies to us, how we can rest in real time. All right. So the first one is in Mark chapter four. If you would pull your Bibles out. And by the way, 
we have free Bibles. If anyone doesn't have a Bible, we have them free right here in the front for you or at a connection center out in the lobby. Uh, free Bibles, please take one. This is the source of all life, and we follow it here, and it, it, this is where we are. So if you don't know, have one, please grab one, okay? Mark chapter 4, that's in the New Testament. That is the second half of the Bible. Mark chapter 4, this is written from one of Jesus' closest disciples, the apostle Mark. Chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 35. It says this, on that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat and other boats were with him. It says a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking in over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. And he was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. The cushion, not a cushion. Apparently there's like one. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Let's just pause there for a second. Have you ever felt like this? Things are going on in your life. How many times have we said, God, do you see what's happening? My bills are, are overflowing the, the, the walls of my house right now. My work situation, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. I don't know what's happening. God, do you care? I've been there. You don't have to raise your hand. Have any of you been there? I don't know what to do. God, are you listening? Don't you care that we're going to die? This is his disciples. Verse 39, it says, He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So we're asking this question, how do we find rest in real time? And I always felt like this passage of Scripture kind of painted Jesus in sort of like a jerky sort of, you know, like kind of a perspective. Like I'm thinking to myself, why would my master like yell at me the way that he did? You know, like I'm clearly afraid, I'm terrified, and I don't want to wake you up, Jesus, but, but like, I mean, we're like standing in knee-deep water in our boat. Water's supposed to be on the outside of the boat, not on the inside of the boat, so we should probably go wake you up. And then when I do, you yell at me, and you, you make it sound as though you're cranky that you got woken up from your nap. But I don't think that's really what's going on here, because he asks him this question, he says, why are you afraid? I'm like, do you not know why I'm afraid, Jesus? I'm literally, the water is coming into our boat. Why am I afraid? And he says, do you still have no faith? And I think this is the first key for us to understand in finding rest in real time. And it's this, if you're taking notes, write it down. Resting in real time requires faith. Resting in real time requires faith. What do I mean by that? Like I said, I used to think that the idea of the passage was teaching as though that somehow if they didn't wake Jesus up, they were all dead. Because that's, that's the, the implication here is that the water was coming over, they ran to Jesus and woke him up. And then because they woke him up, it almost rewards them for their lack of faith if you think of it that way. It's like, well, I know I should have had faith, but I didn't, but I woke you up and so I'm alive anyway. It's okay. But I think what Jesus is really saying here is that why don't you trust enough that I'm taking a nap 
and that it would be okay even if he didn't wake me up. And let's translate that into our own lives. Oftentimes, our situations get dire. We don't know what to do. It gets really difficult. It gets scary. We have decisions that we have to make financially or with our jobs or with our relationships or with our kids, and we aren't sure what to do or we need answers, and it feels like the water is sort of pouring in, and, and we're going to get to this point beyond the point of no return or what it feels like. And we stop and we say, I have to cry out to God and I have to sort of figuratively yell, are you not going to do something? Are you not going to help? And it's not that, that Jesus is, I think, chiding them for asking for help. I think it's the baseline of lack of faith that they had that he was going to do something one way or the other. And I think this is the thing that Jesus is getting at, is that real-time rest requires faith. And what that means is that we have to trust that if we take time off, if we stop, if we breathe, if we go home from work on time instead of waiting another two hours, or, you know, if we push and say, you know what, I'm going to finish this project in the morning instead of right now, or, or whatever it might be, like my kids, he could even be your own kids, are constantly needing you to do things and you tell them, I need my own time right now. I just need to take an hour to go do something or to do this, whatever it might be in your situation. And this, by the way, does not just extend to rest, but it extends to every area of our life, whether or not maybe at work you feel like, you know, sometimes you're tempted to, to, to not give it your fullest effort, that maybe you cut corners sometimes at work or, you know, to get your project in on time, or maybe you don't give your best in your relationship with your husband or your wife or your, your significant other because you're tired or because you don't have the time. And here's what the, where faith really meets in this moment, is that if you do the right things, do I believe that God will provide regardless of whether I follow him or not? Do I believe, let me say this a different way, do I believe that if I choose to do what his word says, and in this case, honor him in resting, when I'm busy, when I'm tired, when I don't feel like I have the time, do I believe that he will take care of the storm even if I stop and it appears as though the waves are going to continue to come in? This is the baseline that Jesus is calling us to. We will never be truly rested. We will never truly find the rest that we need for our souls, for our minds, and for our bodies if we are trying to provide it for ourselves. Because, and I said this a few weeks ago, is that God can do more with six days than we can do with seven. And that's a faith issue. We have to believe that we should work hard. Yes, we are called to give our best because that's from God's word. God's word teaches to do everything as if unto the Lord, which means that when we do work, when we are working with our kids, when we are working in our relationships, when we are effort, 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 we give it our best trusting that when it's time to stop, that he will take care of the rest. But if we don't believe that he is faithful to his word, which means he will provide for us when we stop, no wonder, no wonder we are feeling exhausted even when we take time to stop. Even when we, when we are working hard, even when we produce, when the things that we have in our house, when our groceries, our cupboards are full of groceries, when, our, when we have nice things, it still never feels enough because we're not honoring God. We have to start with this idea of faith. We have to start with the idea of faith. And it's so weird because I think, what would the passage have happened? What would have happened in this story if they hadn't woken Jesus up? But the implication is they would have made it to the other side. The implication is that maybe in his dreams, he would have commanded the wind to stop. We have to get to that point 
or we trust that God will. We, we speak in faith that the thing that I don't understand or that I can't see right now, I don't panic and try to fix it myself. Instead, I say, I know that my God will not abandon me. That is his word and he promises it. So I will take the moment either to walk in faith in your job or to take time to rest or whatever the circumstance is for you. Resting in real time requires faith. Mark chapter 6, another story. This is two chapters later. So Jesus had just sent out his disciples. He sent them out two by two to begin preaching and praying for the sick. They had been gone for for a while, and they're coming back now. In Mark chapter 6, it talks about how they had just arrived. This is verse 30, Mark 6, verse 30. And it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. So they're having a little powwow. And it says, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did did not even have time to eat. Now, sometimes this is reality. Have you ever skipped lunch at work because you were so busy? Have you ever skipped breakfast in the morning because you're trying to get your kids on the bus? Or just because you're, you know, you woke up too late or whatever it is? Have you ever felt like the routine of your week was just so crazy, so busy that you didn't have time to, people were coming and going, things were happening in and out, and you just didn't even have time to eat? Well, that's what's happening right here. But what did Jesus do? Jesus recognized their need for rest. He said, you just worked hard. You guys have been, have been going through all of this stuff. I'm proud of you. You've worked hard. It's time to rest. Come away by yourselves and rest for a while. Jesus is commanding that. Verse 32, though, says, so they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. They're about to have some vacation time. They're about to take a couple days to relax and just chill out for a little while. It says, but many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. Have you ever planned time off? Have you ever tried to take time, and then sometimes against your best efforts, there's something waiting for you that you have to do? Like This happens sometimes. The season of life sometimes is so busy. Sometimes it is so uh, just full of things that you don't have the time to take traditional methods of rest. So what are we supposed to do? This is so interesting. Let's see what happens. Let's see how the disciples handle it. Let's see how Jesus handles it. So when they got ashore, he saw a large crowd, Jesus did, and had compassion on them. So Jesus saw the things that needed to be done. He saw this large crowd of people who were hungry for teaching. They were hungry for miracles because they were broken and they were hurting. And and Jesus had a reputation for meeting needs. So he shows up and he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. But when it grew late, so that day ends, when it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, Hey, Jesus, this place is deserted and it's already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. These guys were tired. They had just been gone for two weeks on a ministry tour and they came back. And Jesus said, guys, you're tired. Let's go get a break. Let's go get some rest. And so they're on their way to the rest. And then they get there and they've got more work to do unexpectedly. And then they work for an entire day. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, can we get that rest now? Like, send these guys away. It's nighttime. You know, there's, there's like thousands of these people here. Send them to go get something to eat so we can maybe just chill out for a little while. And then Jesus goes, well, you give them something to eat. <laughs> like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And I love this next line. They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat. Now, we often overlook this passage of Scripture, but it's actually dripping with sarcasm. Here's why. The word denarii means one day's wages. 
200 days wages, they're saying. So imagine, hear it from their tired, hear it from their exhaustion, hear it from the sarcasm of, oh, okay, Jesus, you want us to give them something to eat? Should we go spend $15,000 or whatever, you know, 50% of your income might be, you know, $20,000 worth of bread and give them something to eat? Okay, Jesus, whatever, right? Like, that's what's happening here. They're so tired. They're exhausted from their life. And Jesus says, you feed them. And he's like, with what? Jesus, what am I supposed to do? Do you want me to spend all of our money? This is probably way more money than we have in our pockets. I can't, I'm so frustrated with you right now, Jesus. Like that's what's happening in this passage. What does Jesus say? He asks them, hey, how many loaves of bread do you have? Just go and see. So they go about, and what's happening here is Jesus is about to teach a lesson. To the, to the people, this is the popular, popular passage of the feeding the 5,000. He's about to show something incredible to these people, but the importance of this lesson should not be overlooked for his disciples too. So when they found out, they come in and go, five. Five bread is what we have and two fish. In other words, not enough, Jesus. Not enough. The, you, I just offered to go spend $15,000 on bread I have five fish, or five bread and, and two fish. That's not enough. And Jesus just kind of goes, mm, okay. So then he instructs them to have all the people sit down in groups and on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. So I'm starting to give you a scale of what this is like. There's a lot of people here. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looks up to heaven, and he blesses them and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to his disciples. So somewhere between verse, or in the middle of verse 41, like there's this miracle, this consistent up, give, up, give. Like there's just constant like giving out to his disciples. It says he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. And then it says this interesting little line, everyone ate and was satisfied. And they picked up the 12 baskets, 12 baskets of pieces of bread and fish. And now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. Now this is, here's the secret that's kind of tucked into this passage of scripture about finding rest in real time. We have to understand that resting in real time requires continuous communication, continuous connection. It's so important for us to see this pattern that Jesus was, was living here. You see, in the very beginning, they're exhausted, they're tired, they're worn out, they're frustrated, they've got some snarky attitude, they're sarcastic with Jesus. Have you ever felt that way? I do. I feel that way when my life feels like it's on the brink, when I'm overwhelmed, and I'm like, why would you bring this up now? I'm tired. I'm supposed to have a day off or get a phone call from someone, whatever it might be, you know? I'm sure you have your own version of this in your life, and this is what's happening. And his disciples are, like, looking at Jesus saying, what are you doing? I just want to go camping tonight. Like, I'm, all I can see is the mountain up there that we're supposed to be at right now, but we can't. You know, like that's what's happening. And by the end of this passage, what does it say? They were all satisfied. They were all satisfied. They received what they needed anyway. How? How? How did they get rest when they had worked all day? Well, look, look at the pattern of continuous connection. First, Jesus receives from the Father. What we see, it's a detail that's put there intentionally that Jesus looks up to heaven and then blesses the bread and the fish. He receives from the Father, and then it says that he continually gave it to his disciples. And when they continually received, everyone was then satisfied. 
So the principle at work here is the pattern of how do we receive satisfaction in the middle of busy craziness. It's receiving from Jesus consistently what he has been given from the Father. And as we receive from him, he gives us peace. He gives us life. He gives us supernatural energy. He gives us efficiency. I told this story uh, once before here at our church, but I've told it so many times of a friend of mine who was an architect in Southside. And he was working on a project, and he, he had a church service that night that he wanted to go to. It was like a special worship service of some kind, and he really wanted to go to it. But he was making the decision to not go to the service because he had another, he estimated another 10 hours worth of work that he had to get done. I think it was 10 hours that he had still left to done. He didn't have time. The deadline was coming up the next day, and if he had left work now and went to the service and then came back the next morning, he would not have enough time to finish his project. But he really felt like he was supposed to go. He really felt impressed upon his heart, I need to be at this, this tonight. I need some rest. I also just feel like I need to be obedient to, to the Lord. I feel like he's telling me to go to this church service. So he stops in faith and goes to the service, not knowing how he's going to finish his project because he thought he had more to do. He gets there the next morning and somehow bangs out the rest of the report with time to spare. Now, this sounds like a happy-go-lucky story, but this is what we're talking about here. When you, when you have this continuous connection and relationship with Jesus, as we spend time with him, not just, it's, I'm not talking about like taking time off at this point. I'm talking about staying connected in your spirit regularly. While I'm at work, while I'm, I'm feeding people, while I'm doing a report, while I'm writing a message, while you're doing a spreadsheet, while you're driving somewhere, if your spirit is sort of on consistent connection with God, receiving from him consistently, you will find deposited things that are not found elsewhere, including time efficiency that doesn't seem to happen anywhere else. I have seen it in my own life. I have seen that when we take time, this is the principle of Sabbath at work. This is the principle of the tithe at work. When you give out of something in faith to God, he is faithful to return it in greater than you could ever provide on your own. And that's what's happening here. That these disciples saw the pattern at work. They saw how Jesus lived his life. Jesus constantly stayed connected to his father. And from that place, he was never tired. He was never weak. He always had enough. And he's saying that to his disciples in this passage, and we often overlook. We see it as a miracle story, which it is. But it's just as much as miracle of providing food to people as it is that he provided rest in the middle when they didn't even stop. That's the, that's the miracle for the disciples here is that the continuous connection with their Savior is what brought them something they couldn't find on their own, even on the mountaintop. And I believe that Jesus knew that. I believe that Jesus was like, we could go up there and go camping, but I know that there's 5,000 people here who need food, and in the process, you're still going to find the satisfaction that you need. And that's what he's saying to all of us today. If we stay connected to him in worship and through mindfulness and allowing him to speak to us and talk to us all throughout our day, and I'm not just talking about stopping to take time to read your Bible or to work. I'm saying like a consistent, kind of like how I'm always in love with my wife. I'm always thinking about her in the back of my head. It's that kind of a concept. If you are continuously connected to our creator, he will bring you peace. He will bring you rest and refreshment that will sustain you in those moments until you can have the time to actually stop and rest. So resting in real time requires faith. It also requires continuous connection. And we're going to finish with this story. The very next 
passage of Scripture, Mark 6, verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. You see what's happening here? This is Jesus literally modeling for us. He was depleted, and he took time to go and rest and receive. He's modeling his priority and the the pattern of real-time rest. He's receiving from his Father so he can give to his disciples. Well into the night, verse 47 says, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. I love that the Bible includes this little random detail, right? Like, why did it have to put that there? I mean, it had to say that Jesus was on the shore and could see them out on the middle of the sea straining at the oars. You know what I love about it is it shows me that he is always intimately aware of the things that are happening in our lives. It could have said, and he saw his disciples out there. No, it says he saw them straining at the oars. Like, he cares He cares that you feel like right now you're straining at the oars. Like you feel like I'm just, no matter how hard I work, I'm not getting far enough. And I was doing some study and it said that it's about nine miles across. I think it was nine miles. I'm sorry. I mean, nine miles or nine hours. The point was, is that they were only in the middle of the, uh, the middle of the sea because the wind was fighting against them. So they're straining and they're tired, right? And they should have been already to the other side by now. They should have already have been there based on the amount of time that it has taken that since Jesus left them. But they were straining so hard, and Jesus saw them straining at the oars. He's intimately aware of what is going on in her lives, and he cares about it. So what does it say? Very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass by them. I always thought that was odd. What do you mean? Why, if, if he cared about them in the boat, why was he going to walk past them? Well, you have to dig a little deeper because that phrase, pass them by, is common to what we see in the Old Testament when God passes people by to reveal himself in glory. So, for example, with Moses, Moses said, God, I want to see you. Show yourself to me. Let me see what you look like. And it says that God passed by Moses, passed him by and revealed a portion of his glory so he could experience him. I believe what was happening here is Jesus wanted to walk on the water, which is crazy enough in its own right, walks past them to reveal something to them that they were about to see. And it says, when they were walk- saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified because I would too. I've never seen anything walk on water except for me with those little bugs that seem to be able to do that. Immediately, he spoke with them and said, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And this is, this is so interesting because the disciples were literally right up against it. They were in the middle of it. They've had the last week or two had been insane for them. They just came off of a ministry tour doing new things they had never done before. They're tired. And then Jesus says, hey, let's go get some rest. But then they don't get to rest. They have to work an entire day. And then, and then, then supernaturally, the Lord fills them and satisfies them. But then he sends them to a boat. So they're thinking, no big deal. We'll just be there in a couple hours. We'll be able to relax. And then, nope, the wind picks up. And now they're straining. And they're tired. And they're depleted again. And now they see what it 
appears to be a ghost walking on the shore or walking on the water next to them. They're terrified, and then that ghost walks up to them and says, don't be afraid. It's me. I'm revealing myself to you. I want you to see something about who I am and remember this and write it down for the rest of eternity so that every Christian who comes after this moment will understand who I am and what I'm offering to you. They, were, they received rest at the end of this passage. Did you notice that? All of that we just led up to leads to this moment where they're terrified, they're straining at the oars. Jesus gets in the boat and it says, and then they were at peace. This is so important for us to understand because what is required for them to receive that peace? They had to let Jesus in the boat. They had to bring him in and they would not have let anyone in the boat if they didn't recognize him. I'm not letting no ghost into my boat. Like I am not doing that. If I don't know who it is, I'm not saying, come on in, you know? What is required? Resting in real time requires relationship. This is our big idea of the day. This is the crux of all of it. If we want what God has for us, if we want to be at peace, if we want to not feel like we're constantly straining at the oars, even when it's busy, how do I find rest when I still have something to do? We must have faith that he will complete what he has promised us, what he starts and what he will complete. He promises to complete what he starts. We must have a continuous connection with him throughout our lives, throughout our day. But most importantly, we must have a relationship. We have to know him. We have to know him and understand it. I love that it paints the picture of two different angles. At first, they were terrified because they were in a storm. The wind was blowing. They saw what they, didn't, they weren't expecting. The last thing they thought they were going to find was their Savior there. As far as they knew, he was still on a mountain somewhere thinking, oh, great, you know, Jesus gave us some bread and fish, but he's up there sleeping or taking a nap while we're struggling. That's probably what's going through their mind. But instead, Jesus shows up and reveals an incredibly powerful moment of supernatural ability. Walking on water, walks up to them and says, don't be afraid. You saw me not too long ago make the winds die down. And now I'm standing here on water in front of you. Let me in the boat and I will give you what you need. We have to bring Jesus into the boat with us. We have to know him. We can't, we can't expect him to, to talk to us. We can't expect to know what to do in wisdom. We can't expect to make the right decisions if we don't listen to the one who created everything and to give us that wisdom in our life. We have to spend time with him. We can't know his voice if we don't spend time in a relationship with him. And what did he say in that passage that I started off with? It says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, learn from me. Learn from me. Do what I say. Do what I do. For my burden is light. My yoke is easy. In other words, my teachings, my principles, take them on yourself as if I were giving them to you. Follow them and you will find rest for your souls. Rest. I want that for myself. I want that for 
for us this year. I feel it's so important. I don't know why God chose to say this is the thing we need to focus on throughout this year. I know that there are things happening in our lives. I, I mean, as your pastor, I'm aware of what's happening uh, for many of you in, in your home life, in your, in your family situations with your kids or with your work situations or with school or um, with your finances or with all of the different, different things that are happening. I am aware of a lot of those things. And I, I know that some of you are just tired. You're beat. I am too. I feel like the last six months of my life and I feel like in our church in general, it's like ratcheted up. And I feel like God is saying, I'm there in it and I will give you peace. I will give you rest because all the things that are happening are good, good things. Don't mistake things that are happening for bad Don't think that just because things are happening and there are a lot of things that it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means I want to teach you how to be able to receive it and to manipulate through it, to navigate through it properly, to be healthy, to be strong, to find rest in the middle of your work deadlines. And for some of us, it might mean, no, I don't get to have, you know, like these blocks of time every week. For some of us in this season, it is incredibly busy. It doesn't mean we shouldn't still find time with God. It doesn't mean we shouldn't, shouldn't still find time to, to find peace and to find rest, even in moments, because the word promises that in those times he will give us and will sustain us until the season changes. But we have to begin to implement these principles into our daily lives. That's why it's not a super practical message today, because it'll look different for each of us. Every one of our situations are different. Every one of our scenarios, our circumstances are completely different. And rest for you, spending time with the Lord and hearing from him and allowing his presence to be able to sustain you and to refresh you will look different for each of you. But we start with the principle of faith, If I take time to even pause briefly, that he will sustain and will give me the effectiveness and the efficiency he will provide in one way or another. And the connection, the continuous connection of receiving while I'm going, while I'm moving, and ultimately the relationship that is going to allow us to find rest, whether we're in busy or in slow seasons. We will hear his voice speaking to us. He will tell us new things, what he wants for us. He'll get us out of our routines. He's going to open up doors for us to do new things, the dreams that are in our heart. Sometimes we can't even hear them because we're just so tired or we're so busy and focused. But listening to his voice, oftentimes he'll call an audible, like in football, like right on the line, just as about a play is about to start. He'll say, no, I want you to do this instead. And we find that it works beautifully when we listen. But then what happens is that he saw something that we couldn't see. We run the play that we were running, and sometimes it's a disaster because he told us to do something else. We weren't even listening. You understand? That's what he's trying to tell us. Would you stand with me? We said a word in the first week. The Hebrew word is yenipas. Yenipas. It means refreshment catch your breath and breathe easily. I believe this is what God wants for us all year long. Even when we're swamped with work, he wants us to breathe easily. He wants us to recover, to be refreshed. And it is possible. The Bible teaches that even in the middle of it, we can be refreshed even when nothing has changed. So we're going to pray. And if you want to say yes to Jesus's rest, just repeat after me. We're going to pray together as one family. I'm going to say it, and then you just repeat after me. Jesus, I choose you today. I have faith that you are in control. I want to be connected to you. 
I want to walk with you every day. Help me to receive your rest. Help me to make rest a priority in my life. Help me to relax instead of escape. Give me opportunities to spend time with you. I choose you today. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.